Standing up in McKinney, this is According to Callus. It is Wednesday, November the 30th, episode 313, and we are going to finish my review, such as it is, of the Rules for Radicals. But before we get into that, let me kindly remind you, share, subscribe, and download the episodes as they come out. It helps me, it breaks the algorithm issues, and it gets the word out. For those of you that will subscribe and share, and you feel so obligated, please comment or tell your friends, right? Every little bit helps. Uh, we're trying to grow. We're, we're doing well. Um, we're just trying to get it amped up to the next step. The next step starts the beginning of this next year, and hopefully we'll be ready to do that. Uh, so there we go. Let's get to it. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back uh, to the prologue. I'm going to read a, a short excerpt um, to kind of set the stage, if you will. And then I'm going to jump all the way to the final chapter, if you will, labeled The Way Ahead. The reason being is I want to go back to some of the early premise and then finish with where he finished and then I'll give you some final thoughts on how this goes and I will walk through uh, the next book that I plan on reviewing probably another two-parter maybe a three-part book Uh, but here we go thank you for joining me and this is the rules from radicals or for radicals excuse me the pragmatic primer for realistic radicals by Mr. Saul Alinsky And yes, um, I think there's a lot to be learned from this little short book. He's got another one called uh, Reveille for Radicals. Uh, Might also be interesting. Uh, Maybe I'll circle back later and read that and see if there's anything to be taken and utilized. While some have criticized that some of this stuff is out of date or it's not practical, on on the contrary, I think a lot of it is playing out right now. This laid the groundwork and the seeds for where we're at right now. Clearly, one presidential uh, aspirant still believes that this guy had stuff to add, and one former president uh, got there largely based off of what he learned on how to be an organizer. Now, those of us that run in conservative circles or liberty circles, we kind of roll our eyes and are dismissive of the term organizer. After having read this, I got to say, I've got a kind of a new set of eyes to look at it with. And I, and I don't see it as the negative. I just see it as our understanding of what it was and how it was utilized is why it's in a negative light. But the organizer as explained and the organizer as applied can have many different functions or outcomes. And that is something that we need to really look at improving. Um, And I don't care if you call yourself a Republican, a conservative, a liberty activist, or even a libertarian. If you want to get your ideas out, if you want to move forward, right? If you want to advance your concerns, This book talks about it at length. We need to be willing to 
take what works and set aside what doesn't work or what we're not willing to do. All right. So we're going to jump in here real quick. And he's talking about some of these uh, revolutions and some of the radicals. And let me uh, see where I was at here. I'm still, like I said, I'm in the prologue. All right. And forgive me if I've already commented on some of this or this is somewhat repetitive. One, I'm doing it because I think it's useful. Two, my notes were not that great on the first uh, episode. So I can't, uh, I can't be 100% certain that I haven't covered a little bit of this. The idea, and, and this is, you know, you constantly have to remind people and go back and do it over and over again to emphasize that these are important ideas, these are important lessons that you need to take out of it. And um, that is why... You know, just on every show, people are repetitive. You've got to do um, repetitive. See, I'm doing it right now. You have to make sure that the idea gets across and that it's memorable and that somebody actually embeds it in their head. Okay. So he starts off with our youth being impatient with the preliminaries that are essential to purposeful action. Effective organization is thwarted by the desire for instant and dramatic change. And as I have phrased it elsewhere, the demand for revelation rather than revolution. Interesting. Um, If you are at all familiar with the play on Hamilton, they use that same terminology. (laughs) Of course, they've turned the entire idea of Hamilton on its head and kind of idolize a guy that was the biggest big government guy in the revolutionary time period, but be that as it may. All right. It's the kind of thing we see in a playwriting. The first act introduces the characters and the plot. The second act, the plot and the characters are developed as the play strives to hold the audience's attention. In the final act, good and evil have their dramatic confrontation and the resolution. The present generation wants to go right into the third act, skipping the first two, in which case there is no play, nothing but a confrontation for confrontation's sake. A flare-up and back to darkness. To build a powerful organization takes time. It is tedious, but that's the way the game is played. If you want to play and not just yell, kill the umpire. An interesting aside, when you are constantly complaining about the umpire, you're not playing your game. It is not lost on me that when you have the umpire co-opted or the referee co-opted and they work against you, then it makes them that much more challenging to win. And some would say that that is exactly what they've done since the 60s, that they they have co-opted so many organizations and so many organs of the government that it is near impossible to get a fair fight. And those people back then would have said that nothing they did was a fair fight because they were the counter-revolution. They were the um, minority seeking to assert themselves. And I'm not really sure that I 
necessarily agree with that, but I can see the argument. All right. He goes a little further and he said, in the name of radical pragmatism, let's not forget that in our system with all of its repressions, we can still speak out and denounce the administration, attack its policies and work to build an opposition political base. Interestingly enough, we're trying to do that right here in Collin County in dealing with some of these municipal governments, whether it's the school district or the city government. Now, how effective we are, that is going to play out based upon how patient we are and how willing we are to build an organization. The leftists are already counterattacking. They're already well aware of what we're doing, and they've brought in reinforcements. You've seen some of these guys floating around. Some wear blue shirts, some wear Satanist shirts, some hang out with the mayor, and some the mayor keeps at uh, a healthy distance. All of this is a coordinated effort to push back on our rejection of the constant push left that they're bringing upon us. I'm not suggesting that we have every answer. I'm not suggesting that we're always right. But it is, again, not lost on me that the folks in charge are not willing to have a discussion. They say that we're supposed to stay out of the way and let these serious people do their work. But let me ask you, how serious can you be if you're not willing to listen to the opposition? If you're not willing to at least hear out what a differing viewpoint is? I would suggest to you that this is just evidence that they know they have weak arguments and they know that they really are not the majority. They're just taking that power and doing as much as they can with it. Again, why would we expect anything different? So he talks about there's government harassment, but there is still that relative freedom to fight. I can attack my government, try to organize to change it. That's more than I can do in Moscow, Peking, or Havana. Remember the reaction of the Red Guard to the Cultural Revolution and the fate of those Chinese college students. Just a few of the violent episodes on bombings or the courtroom shootout that we've experienced here would have resulted in a sweeping purge and mass executions in Russia, China, or Cuba. So what he's saying is, although he favors some of the policies that are in Russia, Cuba, and China, he will freely admit that they've perhaps gone overboard and that if they were to attempt some of the things that they're doing here in the States, they would be wiped out. And he says that we start with the system because there's no other place to start except for for the political lunacy. And that's one of the things I've adopted. I look at a lot of the things that go on as being nothing more than a circus. They're putting on a show. They're trying to entertain us and distract us from what it is they're actually doing. He then says, to assume the political revolution can survive without supporting the base of popular reformation is to ask for the impossible in politics. Men don't like to step abruptly out of the security of their familiar experience. They need a bridge to cross from their own experience to a new way, and the revolutionary organizer must shake up the prevailing patterns of their lives. Okay, so I have a friend of mine. You may have heard of him, Kyle Sims. He is constantly trying to point out some of the crazy that's going on. He he puts forth the facts from the very people that are doing some of this 
vile stuff, whether it's ruining their children or whether it's trying to indoctrinate your children and your grandchildren with perverse things, whether it's the protections that our school district provides to pornographic materials or whether it's just the social emotional learning that is the rebadged critical race theory that is the rebranded uh, critical theory which is nothing more than a race-based Marxism and they're feeding this to our children through the teaching method and he brings that to the forefront all the time. And Fordhead, he gets blasted and attacked. And I got to tell you, I was, you know, pleased to call this man my friend. I, I think he's doing a good job. I think he's trying to stir people up. But he's trying to stir these people up because these are the people need to push back. These are the people that can make a difference. These are the people that can stop some of this lunacy. If you're not going to stand up to protect your children and grandchildren at this point where they're effectively neutering your kids or teaching your kids to want to neuter themselves, what the heck is it going to take? I mean, honestly, I'm flabbergasted that we can have 75% of our entire population just sit at the sidelines completely oblivious or quite frankly not even caring what's going on all the while as long as little Johnny and little Mary can play soccer so they can maybe get a scholarship and maybe go to college and not have $150,000 worth of debt but only $50,000 worth of debt so they can get that mediocre job that they've been promised for two generations. I would really suggest we ought to rethink some of our priorities. The revolution was affected before the war commenced. That's what John Adams wrote. The revolution was in the hearts and the minds of the people. This radical change in principles, opinions, and sentiments and affections of the people was the real American revolution. A revolution without prior reformation will or would collapse or become a totalitarian tyranny which is exactly what happened in France. Not more than a decade later. Um, interesting thing, I listened to an episode of Tom Woods and they were talking about um, the guy that wrote Common Sense and how he was a true radical. He was a radical's radical. He ended up in France and then he ended up in trouble in France and he went through all this different thing and then at the end, Thomas Paine ended up coming back to the States and was basically a broken man. At least that was the way I understood it. And it was because he kept pushing and kept pushing that he never accepted that he got what he was looking for. Maybe there's a lesson to be learned there. Don't know. But the Reformation means the masses of our people have reached the point of disillusionment with past ways and values. Okay, we're already living through that. These people have dismissed the values in the ways. And now we're having to deal with the fact that we're in the clown world. We're in an upside down world. Okay. So we're going to go fast forward a little bit here. And I'm going to give you a little bit more of a quote here. When there are people who espouse the assassination of Senator Robert Kennedy or the Tate murders or the Marin County Courthouse kidnapping or the killings or the University of Wisconsin bombing and killing as revolutionary acts, then we are dealing with people who are merely hiding their psychosis behind a political mask. 
The masses of people recoil with horror and say, Our way is bad, and we are willing to let it change, but certainly not for this murderous madness. No matter how bad things are now, they are better than that. So they turn back. And they regress into the acceptance of a coming massive repression in the name of law and order. Interesting, that's exactly what played out after 9-11, right? We gave up our rights, we gave up our civil liberties because we thought we were going to get a little security, a little law and order that was going to protect us all. Didn't exactly play out very well for us. So now we're going to transition to the way ahead, right? This is kind of, he's finishing up here, laying out, what do we do next? Where are we at now? And there was a little quote here I wanted to put forth. All right, here we go. And of course, this is taking place in the late 60s, so there's a lot of references to Vietnam and the civil rights things, which are not entirely out of line with what we're dealing with now with our uh, St. George Floyd and the drawdown of Afghanistan, right? So the middle classes are numb, bewildered, and scared into silence. They don't know what, if anything, they can do. Isn't that exactly what I just said we're dealing with right here in McKinney, Texas? It is the job for today's radical to fan the embers of hopelessness into a flame to fight. That's what I do. That's what my buddy Kyle does. That's what a couple of us beyond us do. Maybe we don't need to throw their names around just yet. But they're trying to get people off their butts. They're trying to get people to get excited and fight for freedom, fight for the children. He says, you can't turn away. Look at it. Let us change it together. Look at us. We are your children. Let us not abandon each other for then we are all lost. And again, I would tell you, are you willing to abandon your children and your grandchildren in the government, socialist, public school system where they have been taken over by people that want to destroy your children? Oh, they don't say it like that. They give you flowery words. They pretend they really care, but they sissify boys. They butch up girls. They basically direct them to become that which they were not born as. And we just pretend and say this is all well and normal because we don't want to offend anybody because we want to be nice. Well, that's not nice to have somebody destroy themselves permanently for the rest of their lives. We don't let eight-year-olds make decisions for the rest of their lives. That's what the parents are supposed to be there for, to help them make a wise decision. The only thing worse than that is when it's parents doing it to their children. Because then the parents are the ones that are trying to hide the fact that they have some kind of weird psychosis. That they would want to destroy their children. Jeff Younger's ex-wife comes to mind. And then, of course, there's Mr. Steele floating around in the Princeton uh, McKinney area. Why would you do that to your child? What is wrong with you? We'll continue here. So you return to the suburban scene of your middle class with a variety of organizations from PTAs to League of Women Voters to consumer groups, churches, and clubs. 
The job is to search out leaders in these various activities, identify their major issues, find areas of common agreement, and excite their imagination with tactics that can introduce drama and adventure to the tedium of their middle-class life. Interesting, isn't it? So you have to basically reach... (laughs) (coughs) He's talking about a bunch of housewives. And uh, blue-collar guys that come home and want to drink their beer and watch the ball game. That's what he's talking about. It is the job first of bringing hope and doing what the organizer must do with all people, all classes, and places and times to communicate the means and tactics whereby people can feel that they have the power to do this and that and on. There we go. That's what we need to do. I'm telling you folks. We can make a difference. The tactics must begin with the experience of the middle class, accepting their aversion to rudeness, vulgarity, and conflict. Start them easy and don't scare them off. The opposition's reactions will provide the education the radicalization of the middle class. Think about that. He is telling... His organizers that if you want to get stuff done, you have to get the middle class. You have to get the average Joe six-pack, if you will, off their butts and get them involved. That's what we're doing right now. We're reaching out to you guys as much as possible to tell you, look at what is happening. Look at what is going on. When you're not paying attention, when you're not involved, those that think they know better than us, those that think that they know what's best for our children, our grandchildren, our families are forcing policies upon us that we have every right and the means to not only push back on, but to overturn. And yet we do nothing because we're afraid. Because we don't want to have conflict. Because we're fearful of the repercussions. Well, I am freed from that. I don't have children in the local school district any longer. My children are grown. So I go and I stand on your behalf when I'm given the opportunity. I go and I run the gauntlet to let people know that this is wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. This has clearly got negative effects that nobody's willing to talk about because of fear. Whether it's a teacher, whether it's a parent or a grandparent who feels the the repercussions could cost them their security, their job, their comfort, their their place on the sports team for their children. There's a lot of these things that are very real. So they're not willing to take that step out. They're not willing to break from their comfort. But if you keep telling them openly, this is what's going on. And you put it on the record and you put it in the public. Perhaps some of them will shake from their slumber and get engaged, get involved and realize that the time is now. We must be involved. We must do more than what we are doing. The bread in circuses will only take us so far. I don't believe the sky is falling. I don't believe that the end is near. I believe there's opportunities still around. There are options that we can explore and take. We don't have to accept that this is the way it is going to always be. But it requires a little bit of effort, a little bit of time. So my closing thoughts on this book. I think that 
anyone right a center is quite right that Saul Alinsky was not a good guy. He did not meet us on the same playing field, right? He didn't agree with us on a lot of things. Now, if I'm being very gracious, if I'm kicking back to my uh, full-on libertarian uh, former self, I can probably agree with 60% of what he's supporting here. I really could. But I also am wise enough and old enough now to see the faults and the problems and quite frankly, the slippery slope that he created by what he was pushing for. So I have to be willing to look past that, set that all aside, what his motivations were, and just look at the tactics, look at how things were getting done. And I'm encouraging you, my brothers and sisters that are on the political outs, whether you claim yourself a libertarian, a liberty activist, a conservative, a tea partier, just a protester, whatever, or quite frankly, a Christian nationalist. Hey, look, this guy has done that and done it well. So much so that multiple people that have become quite effective in what they do learned at his feet. If you don't take what he's teaching here and put it into your body of knowledge, you are shortchanging yourself. You're shortchanging us as a community as an opportunity to push back. You need to understand what your opponents are doing. You need to think ahead and you need to come up with ways to fight back. So as I've completed this and I've now kind of given you my final thoughts, let me tell you what's coming up next. Unfortunately, Rod Dreher has a mixed bag of, let's call them opinions and stands. And... He doesn't seem to be the guy I was hoping he would be. However, I'm almost done with his uh, the second book that he has written that I'm reading, The Benedict Option. I think there are a lot of valid points, and I think there's a lot of interesting ideas, things that could be applied. And largely, it's built upon his crunchy con, which was kind of his manifesto that he put out before this. And, and, and the basic ideas, I should say, it's a more fulfilled uh, vision, if you will. So my plan is to kind of read through some of the high points and talk about some key things, takeaways, if you will, and how they might apply to our situation in McKinney, Cowlin County, Texas. How relevant are they? But might they be even more relevant if you're outside the promised land, if you're outside the Texas readout, if you're outside of what is soon to be the Texas Republic. I mean, perhaps if you're in California, New York, or Michigan, these are more relevant to you. But there are, again, takeaways that are important that we should be aware of, if for no other reason to help our brethren in the behind enemy line states. So I think... I think I'm going to wrap that up. I I appreciate you following along. I appreciate the uh, gain of listeners that I get every day. I only ask, and I'm going to bring this up one more time, comment, send me an email, send me a text, share the show to your friends. 
share the show on social media. I am uh, temporarily out of Miwe. I don't know what happened there. I will be returning shortly. Uh, I'm still doing Gab on occasion. I'm on Facebook. And quite frankly, that's about all I can swing for social media. I'm still a one-man show. We're just trying to, you know, kind of build up as we go on here. We're going to be looking at doing some interesting things coming this next calendar year. But it is only with you guys listening, you guys sharing the show, you guys having my back, metaphorically speaking, that we can make these things happen. I thank you for joining me. And until tomorrow, I'll see you on the other side.